Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. We've got a great episode for you today, and sorry it's a few days late. We had a huge annual event that we do, and it just consumed us, so we pushed this out a couple days, and thanks for your patience, but it's worth the wait, I promise. We had a conversation with Allie Murphy. She's the Director of Events and Program Development at Engage for the Good, and she's also a successful podcast host, which is really fun to be able to interview somebody who also is a host of a podcast. She's done 12 seasons and over 400 episodes. And we had a really good time on this. So we basically talked about all the things that we wish we knew as a new leader. And if you've got people who are stepping into leadership roles for the first time, or you yourself just want to brush up on you know what it takes to be a great manager or leader, this is a great episode for you. We had a lot of fun together, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So make sure to connect with Allie across social media. She's big on LinkedIn, so make sure to connect with her there. And then I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. I love connecting with listeners. So enjoy today's episode, and we'll make sure to get next week's episode out on Tuesday. And we thank you so much for the downloads, the subscriptions, the the love on social media. It's so great to have such a, a wonderful audience who's engaged. And just thanks for the support. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. It is a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to be here, even though it's a little strange to be on this side of the microphone. It's fun, right? Like I, I've, I'm a guest every once in a while, not very often. I like to do the interviewing because I control the conversation. I like control, I guess. So it, it is kind of, it feels weird. It feels weird to be a guest, doesn't it? It does. We, we have that in common, but I'm excited to be here and I'm stoked for this conversation. Um, so this podcast episode, I'm glad we're doing this. This is a resource for new time managers. And you and I had talked, we're, we're like, if I was a first time manager, what would I want to know? And you came up with seven things that you wish you knew. Let's talk about that first one. What is that? Oh my gosh, this is one that I think I'm still learning. And I think people will learn for a very long time. But the first one is delegating isn't a bad word. And so When you make this change from individual contributor to being a people leader, whether it's of one person, somebody's a direct report, you're managing maybe a team on a project for the first time, there's this sense, or at least I had one of, ooh, I don't want to pass things off. Maybe I could do it better. I could do it faster. Or if it's something I don't like, maybe they're not going to like it either. And therefore, I don't want to stick it on their plate. But in order to move up and in order to grow you've got to hand things off. You cannot do it all. There's just, there's no way. And the honest fact of the matter is that you may think, or you may not like it, but your team may actually love it. Like you are not the same person as whoever you have on your team or your direct reports. And there's a couple of things that I've handed off where I'm like, I don't like this putting up web pages, for example, I have a teammate that loves that. And so you have to hand things off. And I think a big piece of this is you also have to make sure that you are training your people and giving them the skill sets and the tools that they need to actually make that possible and that they have the bandwidth to do it. 
And the flip side, or not the flip side, but a continuation of that is that handing off work and kind of building up their skill set and their responsibilities shows that you have confidence in your team. So you have to do it for yourself, but it is also good for your team. And it is something that I'm still learning little by little. Thing about delegation that's the hardest, I think from those that move from an individual contributor to then a, a first time manager is that they were always the hero. They're the one doing the work all the time. And so when you become that manager where you, you really need to be delegating and, and helping your team grow and empower them, it's hard to give it up. I still struggle with it. I mean, I've been a manager for a long time and it's still tough because you think like, I'll just do it myself. It's easier. But you can't do that with everything. And usually you end up in the long term, at least harming your team and your entire team's output by doing that. No, I agree. I think this is probably the number one thing. I mean, I know it's number one on your list, but delegation is probably the first thing that new managers need to know. And it's hard. I'm trying to figure out what to hand off and how much coaching needs to be done. Like I liked looking at it as a process of we're going to try different things. I may not get it right every time, but let's have a conversation about this. And if you're feeling like I'm micromanaging at some point, tell me that. If you need more help, that's okay too. So like building that conversation. Something that I like to do is if I have like a big long task list, sometimes I like to do a brain dump where like if there's something on my mind keeping me up at night, I'll, I'll write it all down. And then if you take it a step further, like, should I be doing this or should I delegate it? Like just marking that off because then you, it's very clear to say like, I shouldn't be doing this. I should, I have a resource for this. I need to delegate it. It's, it makes it pretty clear. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have it visually in front of you that way. So number two, you wrote connect about more than just work. I know people struggle with this one. Elaborate on this one. So this is one that I knew before I stepped into a manager role, but I think it brought it home so much more. We are all more than just who we are at work. We are parents, we're daughters, we're I'm a world traveler. There's, there's different components that make up who we are. And our teams are the exact same way. So if you only connect about work, you're not going to understand where there are some highs or lows in their life or what might be impacting their work this week. And there's so much more about connecting on different levels that build deeper relationships and trust. And so the beginning of our calls during one-on-ones are all about what's going on. And sometimes the first thing that we talk about is work. Usually not. I have one teammate that likes to write poetry. And every Wednesday night, she goes to a poetry slam, which I think is awesome. So Thursday mornings, before we dive into anything in our one-on-one, we're typically talking about what I did and how poetry was for her. And so building that relationship outside of work and saying, you are more than your productivity or your task list or what you can get done is how I want to lead and how I want any other manager that I have to help lead too. Yeah. So oftentimes I'll start one-on-ones. Usually I have an hour long one-on-one with each of my employees every week. And I know it's, that's not expected, but I I do like to connect with people. And sometimes I'm, I spend 45 minutes of that hour talking about nothing but personal stuff. And I know that seems weird, but it is about connection. It's like most people want to enjoy the people that they work with and they want to know them outside of work. And not everybody wants that, but the people I've worked with, they do. They want to be able to bring their whole selves to work. And so this is the way to do that. Yeah, we don't really, well, maybe some people do, but it, you, we don't compartmentalize well of like, okay, this is work alley and this is home alley. Alley is alley. Yes, I'm talking about myself in the third person, but having those conversations is important. And on the subject of one-on-ones, two things that you made me think of, one is that once we get through some of the personal, we decide to dive in, 
We start every conversation with what's a win. So typically they're work wins. They can be really small of, I don't know, I sent an email on Friday last week that was challenging and had some sticky pieces in it. I was like, ooh, I was really proud of myself for figuring out what to say and being helpful and collaborative, but clear. So it can be something like that, or it can be something much larger, but we start with wins. And then the second piece is letting the direct report guide that conversation. I think a one-on-one is more for them than it is for you. And it's for their growth and them figuring things out. It doesn't mean that there aren't times where I bring up projects or bring things in, but it's more a space for them. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm going to start incorporating that into my meetings. One, one thing that I I do like to do every once in a while, I sometimes forget it, but focus on gratitude. And Greg Bell, who's an author, uh, he's actually in our area, he's in Portland area, and he's been a guest on this podcast. He wrote a book called What's Going Well. And he says, you know, ask that question, because then it helps you focus on gratitude. Like what's going well? Like, Allie, what's going well right now? You know, ask that question. And then you start to have this gratitude for the, the good things in your life. And a lot of times that brings momentum to the day. And it's typically not how our brains are wired. We are wired to focus on like a negativity bias and our lizard brain. And we could talk about brains, but we won't. But yes, gratitude is powerful. And I feel like the more that you practice it and you think in that way, the more you see those things showing up. What's the third thing on your list? So it is important to work out systems that work for your direct reports. So Yes, there are things that need to get done. If you use Salesforce and there are certain metrics or you need to put leads into Salesforce, that needs to happen. But there are other things that might be nice for you as the leader that really don't help your direct report. So an example from my own experience is that when I was first stepping into this role of, okay, I need to figure out what the heck is happening. We're also remote. I want to have enough insight to be helpful, make sure you're spending time in the right areas, but not too much. And so I'd seen somewhere that somebody sends a team update email every Friday where this person will email their leader and the other people on the team of a kind of a status update or where projects are and if they have any roadblocks, help they need, et cetera. And I was like, ooh, that'd be great. I would love that. But instead of saying, hey, we're doing this, I said, what do you think about this? Is this the best way for you to communicate this information or would there be a better way? And the answer was, that doesn't sound great to me. It was better worded than that, but very respectfully was like, actually, no, I think it'd be better to have those conversations in a one-on-one. And we have two a week in some cases. So on Monday mornings, I get a status update from one person and we talk through those pieces as opposed to having an email. And that allows her to provide some more context and do it in a way that she's communicating on her own terms, as opposed to something that I kind of forced upon from the top down. Email is the bane of my existence. Like I can't stand, especially like as you're communicating projects through it or tasks, it just gets so noisy. Whereas I don't really love that as a communication method. What I've kind of coached and trained my people on is uh, we use a project management system called monday.com. I don't know if you Oh yeah, we use Asana. Uh, very similar, right? So we, we have boards that, you know, for projects and things that we're sharing and you know, if during a one-on-one or even if we're just doing like a project catch-up or something, we'll just pull open the board and see where we're at on each of the things versus like digging through email and trying to communicate statuses that way. I just, I hate it. So a lot of times we're keeping communication in line, like it's a thread for that project. That way you're not having all these like one-off emails about a project and then you'd have- And then you can't find them later? You can't find them, exactly. Versus having everything in one spot that you could just in a meeting pull open. Easy. Yep. Even, well, you use Monday, we use the sauna. Even our one-on-ones 
are in Asana. So there's a project that is that one-on-one. The first, You can do sections. We're not using boards. It's a list, but you can do sections. So the first section on there is X person's name wins. The next one is Allie's wins. So those are the two first pieces. And then we talk about stuff to discuss. And it can all get moved in. And you can tag it even if it's in every different project. So you're not losing anything. It's yeah, helpful. That is great. Yeah. If you want to set your people up for success, it's coaching them on to use the system in a, in a consistent way. It, it really doesn't even matter what you're doing as long as it's consistent. Number four, don't be afraid to ask for help and you don't have to be perfect. Talk about this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, Stepping into a new role and I wouldn't say being handed the reins, but in a lot of ways you've earned them, but you step into this. And at least for me, I'm like, okay, I really want to be successful. This is a vote of confidence. This is something I really care about and have been wanting to do for a long time. Like I've wanted to manage teams for a very long time and it's, oh my gosh, it's happening. And so there's this feeling, or at least for me of like, I have to get this perfect. I have to do this right. And asking for help shows that I'm weak. Okay, let's dive into that. No, no, and no. So I think it's really important to actually recognize that and be honest about it. And so I will have conversations with people frequently that say, look, I don't have all the pieces figured out. Here's where I'm at. And I think that openness and that authenticity and saying I'm not perfect and talking about one of my teammates and I have conversations about imposter syndrome, talking about those pieces says I'm human. Like, yes, there are plenty of things that I do very well not going to lie about that. That is definitely true. But there's also pieces that I'm figuring out. And being honest about it means that I'm authentic, that I'm showing up in the way that I want to be as a leader. But it also means that I'm giving space for those on my team to not be perfect either. Because none of us are. So I think that's really important. And when it comes to asking for help, I work with a coach weekly. She's fabulous. I work with somebody from BetterUp. One of the best decisions I have made in my professional career. Whether it's a coach, it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, whether they're in your industry or not, or just a mentor asking people for help. Sometimes you're like, ooh, I don't really want to ask them. This is going to be annoying or it's, they don't have time. Most of the time, and I don't have the stat, but there are stats on this. Most of the time, those people feel honored and actually want to help you. So I would say you don't have to be perfect. Actually embracing that means that you can be authentic and it allows your team to be not perfect either. And you can absolutely ask for help when people want to help. Something that comes to mind on on this topic is that as leaders and managers, I think intuitively we think like we have to have all the answers. And that's just simply not the case. In fact, I think redirecting, like if if one of your employees is asking a question or like, like trying to make a decision, move forward or something, and then... Sometimes I like to redirect it. Like, what do you think? (laughs) Because I don't want to control the decision versus like they might be closer to the the answer than I am. So I don't like, what do you think? And I think given given them the option to make the decision and the fact that knowing that I'm not perfect and I don't have all the answers, I, I I like doing that. I think those are tied together really well. And I think a lot of times people can come to you because you are, you are their boss or their leader, whatever term you want to use. But There's so many pieces that go into it. And if somebody's coming to you, well, one, they typically trust you. So that's a point for yay. But the second piece here is sometimes people think they don't know an answer when in fact they may know more than they think they do. And so what I like to do instead, and I didn't do this in the beginning. Let me, let me be clear about this. In the very beginning, when I first was trying to figure this out, people would come to me with a problem and I'd say, okay, here's what I do. 
And they would go off and do that. And there are times where I think there's a place for that, especially on really tight deadlines. Or There are specific instances. But by and large, that's not what I do now. And I want to take more of a coaching mentality. And so instead, I'm going to say, okay, well, what do you think? You're going to flip it back like you did. I'm going to say, what do you think? Sometimes you get an, I don't know. And then my next question, which I actually got from therapy once upon a time, was if you had to take an action, what would it be? If you had to make a next guess, if I weren't here, what would you choose next? Let's actually use that today. And so that piece of like, okay, well, now you don't have a choice. What would you do? And they come up with something and you're like, okay, tell me more. And they tell you a little bit more. And they may not get 100% of the way to the best outcome necessarily, but they're going to get a heck of a lot closer. They're going to do the majority of it on their own. And then you get to come in and fill in those little pieces if needed. But it also means, and we talked a little bit about this last time, I am a huge fan and proponent of taking vacations where you are completely unplugged from work. And that is going to be really hard to do if your team can't make decisions and figure out the next step when you're gone. So building up their capacity, because they honestly can do it in most cases, and showing them in safe environments, hey, you can do this. Here's what our process looks like. Go for it. It's good for them. Good for you. And you can go take vacation. See, what you described right there is more about coaching than it is about managing people. I had a guest, it's been years, his name is Michael Bungay Stanier, and he wrote a book called The Coaching Habit. That book is packed full of ideas and questions like you were just posing. I'm going to have to go listen to that episode because that book is on my Goodreads list. He's phenomenal. The book is very simple to, to understand and read. And it's like kind of a guide for like, how do you, like, what kind of questions should you ask to draw out the best in people and to nudge them forward to get the answer on their own versus just giving them the answer. So are there times where you like to give, just give the answer versus coaching? And when do you pick between the two? I have no idea. That is, that is so hard to be able to answer that. I did put you on the spot. I think if I'm going to rush that I'll give the answer. But if I have, if I'm live with somebody like this, where face to face on a video call or in person, I might ask questions to help them. If I have more time and more patience around it, but if we're screaming towards a deadline, it's a little bit harder to to have the patience for that. So I that's not a great it's not a great answer, but But it's also honest. Yeah. There are times where we get into conference season and maybe it's May and it's the two weeks before we fly out and there's a sponsor issue or there's something, that's a time where I'm probably gonna be more prescriptive than let's coach through this. Agreed. Yeah. I love that. That's a good one. So number five is about receiving feedback and asking people how they want feedback. Do you ask this of your people uh, when they come in? I do. Sometimes people don't know and that's okay. And sometimes you mean like you say, like how, if I was to give you recognition, do you want to publicly, privately, like, is that how you'd ask somebody or? That's a better way of asking it that I would now ask. I think in the beginning I said, how do you like to receive feedback? And that can be a little bit nebulous and a really big question for people to try and answer. But do you like recognition? Do you like having that in conversation together? Do you prefer something over email? Are you okay? Or would you enjoy if there were a team shout out? Or does that make you recoil? Because there are some people, I worked at an organization back in my UC Berkeley days where there were two people on that team that did phenomenal work, but having kind of public recognition in that way, whether it was in an email, on some Slack channel, or in person, would make them want to leave the room. And that's okay. But it's, it is so far removed from what I would have assumed if I didn't know. And so it's really important to know those pieces. One of my teammates right now 
really feeds off of recognition, whether it's small little things like, hey, I really enjoyed how you handled that email to you did an incredible job on this project, whatever it might be. And I also know that for her, not that I'm going to do this every time, that that recognition feels even better or is even more motivating when there are some other people that get to see it as well. So I will sometimes loop in my boss and say, hey, this project happened, this went really well, whatever it might be, but there's a little bit more visibility there as well. So on both sides, you don't want to recognize something in front of people if that makes them want to leave the room. You want to meet them kind of where they're at. On the flip side, I think there are some people that take feedback really well when it's kind of radical candor of like, this is what it is. Here's how it works. Here's what I'm telling. Whatever those pieces are that are very, I mean, they're radically candid. They're, they're very direct. They are meant in a helpful way because you care about that person and their development. But for the wrong person, that could come across as, oh my gosh, I made the worst mistake ever. This person hates me. My job is over. Like there's a whole spiral that can happen. And so it's understanding where on the spectrum from this kind of radically candid through let's coach you through this. I was saying, this doesn't work, which I would never actually verbalize. Sometimes I'll get something and I'll say, okay, tell me what you see here. Because I see something, but they may not. And having them walk you through what they're actually seeing tells you, okay, was this a timing issue? Is this something that they are actually not seeing? We need to talk through a little bit more. Is it a coaching component? So understanding where they are on that spectrum, I think helps a lot. Yeah, for sure. Something we do at Zenium is you know, for new employees specifically, we have a form that new employees will fill out. It's got all sorts of stuff. And they're like, if you were to have a Starbucks coffee, like what would it be? All the way to if you were to get feedback or public recognition or recognition in general, do you want it publicly, privately, written, in person? Like there's a whole list and they can check every box that they want. The one thing I think is missing in, in as you were talking, I'm like, there's two sides to this. There's recognition and then there's constructive feedback. And we don't ask that because I think to your point, like if one of my employees makes a mistake and I need to call it out, do I call it out in the moment in public? I'm going to go typically no. No. And even if they want to process it, do they want it in like an email? Do they want it in a Microsoft Teams chat? And in the next one-on-one, you know, like there's, there's a lot of different options. And I think it is a kind of a delicate balance. And I think just asking your people, like if I were to give you constructive feedback, how do you want to receive that? I think that is a nice thing to do. And maybe giving them some options, like you said, of in a one-on-one, do you want time to process? Because that gives them some things to kind of benchmark against. The other thing that you made me think of as you were talking about this and how people like to process, performance reviews. Some organizations are going to have a very strict policy on when they go out, how much time happens before you have a conversation. Do they see it before the conversation? Do they not? A little spoiler alert here. If you are telling your direct report something that they do not know in a performance review, you have failed. That should be a conversation ahead of time. But the point I was trying to make here, I got a little distracted there, is that We're a small team. And so I have the liberty of building those performance reviews, figuring out what they look like, 360s, and then saying, how do we actually want to disseminate this that's most helpful? And so it could be, for me, I want to see the thing in writing before I have the conversation. I want to process. I want to think through it. I want to make sure that my feelings are in check and I've got everything there and I've processed and then have that conversation. So that's what we did. But for Dr. Report, mine happened to want the same thing, but other members of the team may not. And so I think that's an interesting conversation of if you get this, do you want to talk about it immediately? Because if you do and our policies allow it, then I would do it that way. 
It's really interesting. This actually goes back to your point number two a little bit is if you, if you connect with people about more than work and you get to know them, then you'll start to understand like what drives them and what they want and you know, how they want to receive feedback. And we can't do a cookie cutter approach. And I mean, that's with, with leadership and management. Yeah. I understand there's systematic approaches we need to do in business, but when you're talking about humans, we're nuanced, we're individual. We just, like we're human. We make mistakes. We're imperfect. And ask your people what they want. Get to know them at a deeper level. And if you haven't before, that doesn't mean you that you can't now. And just because I know something now doesn't mean that six months from now, I can't ask a teammate, hey, are we still on track? Is there something that you'd like to see differently? What's number six? Number six is that it can be easier to advocate for your team than it can be to advocate for yourself. <laughs> like resources and money and other things like that? That, yes, because I am making an argument on someone else's behalf that I can typically tie to a business goal. I can do that for myself too, but it's different when you're doing it for somebody else. And I also think that there's probably a component of me being a woman here and some societal conditioning of asking for things. But the way that I was actually thinking about this was different and it came down to more about well-being, I guess is what I would call it. So we run two conferences a year. I both bring in about 600 people, maybe more, in person. Last year was the first time that we had run them in person since before the pandemic. And we had some turnover. And so it was the first time our February conference was the first time that we had run this conference as the team that we are. And some of the people on this team have never run an in-person conference before. So there was, we did an incredible job. People were happy, but there was a lot that went into it. And this is not, this is my sister company's conference. So I help, but it is not my project. And so we were there and there are a lot of times where we're working really late. You work till 10 o'clock, you're eating dinners really late. Maybe you're not quite having a lunch break. And honestly, that's what happened at that point in time. Is that what I want to do going forward? No, but given the team that we had and what was going on, we did the best and we were really proud of ourselves. Fast forward to May, a couple months later, and I was like, okay, one of the things that's really important to me and the team brought up in our postmortem is we want to be done working earlier. We want to take breaks for lunch and we want to have dinner at a normal time, even if we're going to keep working. And so I was like, this is one of my biggest priorities. Yes, we're going to run a conference. Yes, we're going to have amazing speakers. Yes, we're going to do all that. But I'm also going to take it, figure out as much as I can how to take care of this team. And for me, I think that was easier because I wasn't just thinking about me. Did you want those things too? Yes, exactly. I wanted those things too, but it was easier to advocate for them. You weren't going to go to management and say like, I want this. You're like, no, our team needs this. But I do too. And it wasn't even a, we want this. And like, if we want to deliver the type of experience that these customers and these attendees deserve and have the level of professionalism that we want, this is what needs to happen. And so we took lunch breaks in the middle of the day and there was a little pushback at different times, but it was so important. And people took time to walk outside and step outside for five minutes, which in the specific hotel that we were in does not have much natural light. So that was really hard for me. And we had dinners at normal times. We had, an, I had an alarm on my phone that would go off at like five or five 30. We'd say, okay, are people ready for dinner? Do we want to break now? Typically it was a yes, even if we had to come back and do something later. So I think being responsible for responsible for isn't quite what the right word. You know what I mean though, but being responsible for other people and saying, nope, this is important and I'm going to take care of my team, whether it's budgeting, finances, et cetera. But this was the example that came to mind for me. Okay. Round us out. What's the seventh thing that you wish you knew if, 
as a first time manager? Well, so we already talked about this one a little bit. It's that you don't have to solve everything. So we dove into it already, but it's so important to step out of your own way and step out of their way, give them the tools and resources to start making those decisions. And maybe they watch you make some in the beginning. Your decision process doesn't have to be the same, but if they're a newer employee or maybe first time out of college, they may need some examples and that's okay. But getting out of their way and pushing people a little bit past their comfort zone, not throwing them off the deep end, but pushing them a little bit past their comfort zone is going to go a Mm -hmm. long way. I'm going to add a bonus thing I wish I knew as a man, because I agree with all of yours. What I also think first time managers need to know what I wish I knew is that you have to want it. Meaning like it's leadership and management is hard. And if you don't know what you're getting into and you don't agree to it, you're going to just be miserable and it's not going to work out. Like not every contributor level people should go be a manager. So you have to invest in understanding what it's like to be a manager and agree to it before you become one. I would agree with that. And I also find it I was going to say fascinating. That might not be the right word either, but fascinating that so many organizations will promote their top performers at from individual contributor. They're phenomenal. We're going to promote them to the next role because that's how career growth happens. But if they don't want to lead people and that next role involves managing one person, two people, a team, whatever it might be, that's not a good fit. And they're probably not going to like it, which means they're not going to want to stick around as long, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So promoting the right people or hiring the right people, knowing as the person stepping into this role, is this something I want to do? If you don't entirely know, it's also okay to try something, I would argue. But for me, I knew I was really excited about it. I was like, I'm going to go listen to all the podcasts. I'm going to go read all the blogs. I'm going to talk to people. I was very excited about it. So you'll start to figure some of those pieces out. Allie, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, I think if first-time managers are listening or even HR people or leaders who have people that are going to become first-time managers, I think this is a really great tool for them to use. So thanks for coming and sharing all the things that you wish you knew as a, as a first-time manager. Where can people connect with you? Where, where do you want to point people to? I know you're working on a lot of good stuff, so share that with people. Sure. So, well, first off, thanks for having me. It was a blast. I like being on this side of the mic too. Um, the easiest place is probably on LinkedIn. I'm at Allison Murphy, even though I go by Allie, and I talk a lot about the intersection of work and well-being, what it means to be a good leader, my experiences, my stories, the mess, all of it. So, connect with me there. I'd love to connect. And if you're interested in CSR and social impact, you can learn more about what we do work-wise at engageforgood.com. My guest today has been Allie Murphy. Thanks for being part of the show. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.